You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the songwriters for the original song from Bros, Love Is Not Love, Billy Eichner and Mark Shaman. Hey guys, it's Bobby Lieber coming to you from the future home of the LGBTQ plus museum. Everyone is really excited and totally getting along. This happens to be Bisexual Awareness Week and no one has acknowledged it. Lesbian History Month was in March. Nobody said a goddamn thing. Of course, lesbians get a month and we get a week. So what's happening? Didn't you guys have an announcement? This is a little unexpected, but we are in a thruple situation. You're in a thruple? Let me tell you what's progressive now. Being alone. I love my life. I love my freedom. I love my independence. That's kind of sad. That I don't want to be in a thruple? I don't even want to be in a couple. Bobby, I had sex with that 65-year-old. Jesus, he's ripped. I know. It's like they injected steroids into Dumbledore. Oh, my God. That's Aaron. He's very hot. Gay guys are so stupid. I know. But we've been smart enough to brand ourselves as being smart. It's our little secret. You met a guy? I don't think I'm his type. He's like gay Tom Brady. What are you into? One of these ripped idiots with no opinions? No, I like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. And I bet he's as intimidated by you as you are by him. I'm down for whatever. Yeah, I can do whenever and I can do whatever. Cool, whatever, whenever. GIF of Michael Scott dancing. Office GIF? This person isn't gay. I need you to be honest with me. You like these growy meathead idiots. Oh, they're fighting. You like that? I can be tough like your boys. Oh, that's what you like, huh? Hey, what's going on? That's cool. Bye bye. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Now I have to go to a Pride party and you're both too old to be in the pool. Please leave. People are threatening to boycott the museum. You can't say Lincoln was gay. If we don't do this, we're letting the heterosexual terrorists win. There are trans terrorists too. Caitlyn Jenner. You're so different from me. You're very intense. I like to keep things chill. I can be chill. Just like a manly man. Sir. What is going on with you? My whole life, I prided myself on being self-reliant, but this guy has gone into my head. Maybe you're both bottoms and that's the problem. Bottom day. Bottom day. Yeah. <laughs> Gay sex was more fun when straight people were uncomfortable with it. God, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. Welcome everyone to the next Best Picture podcast where we are talking with Billy Eichner and Mark Shaman, writers of the song from Bros, Love Is Not Love. Gentlemen, how are you today? Great. Thanks for good. Hey, thank you so much for, for joining us and coming on, talking about your work, about this song. Billy, I wanted to start with you because... One of the many themes of Bros that stayed sort of right up at the top is that, you know, the whole love is love idea. It's a nice phrase, but we all know straight love and gay love are different. And Bobby himself is sort of a, he's a bit of a romantic, but he doesn't necessarily believe that love is going to come his way. So at what point in writing the film did you say to yourself, you know what this needs? a song actually that it was by far the last thing that got written for the movie it got written 
the idea for the song and writing the song and <laughs> rehearsing it, it all happened during production. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was sort of the last missing element of the movie, um, which we had just never figured out was what Bobby's gesture towards Aaron was going to be at the end of the movie. Um, and with Aaron, we had, you know, he sort of has his revelation and he has a this emotional scene with his brother. Um, and, you know, we have him doing sort of the classic rom-com run to Bobby, but, but Bobby really messed up too. You know, I mean, one of the things... I liked about the movie, even though that's weird to say, is that <laughs> both characters are very flawed, you know, and we don't really wrap up those flaws in a neat bow. I mean, they evolve, but they're still people. It's not good. They're not going to magically change overnight. But Bobby's done something wrong, too, um, and also has issues expressing himself when it comes to love. And well, he's very good at expressing himself and his thoughts and opinions about politics and culture. But when it comes to expressing his own thoughts about love and, you know, his own willingness to be vulnerable, especially with Aaron, who he's so intimidated by, you know, he um, he has issues with that, too. And so we needed something that felt really big and romantic to, you know, to show how he has changed and show how he's reaching out to Aaron, just as Aaron's reaching out to him. But we couldn't figure, we couldn't figure out what it was. And then about two weeks into shooting, you know, I don't, Luke McFarlane, of course, plays Aaron in the movie and my love interest. And I don't, I didn't know Luke very well before we started shooting. Um, we, I didn't know him at all before the audition process. And so we were still getting to know each other. And one night we were sitting shooting on the Upper West Side and. I said to him, you know, Luke's a funny guy. He's not like your typical gay man in certain ways. Uh, and so I said to him, what kind of music do you listen to? I was always just genuinely curious what what's going on in Luke's head. And um, he said, oh, I listen to some jazz, but I really listen to a lot of country music. And I love Garth Brooks. And I laughed because I, you know, I'm like a gay Jew from New York City who like, you know, loves Madonna and pop yep. songs and show tunes <laughs> and more of the traditional stuff. And actually, there's some country music that I actually really love, especially ballads and things like that. But I wouldn't call myself an obsessive country music fan. And he is. Um, and we had a whole conversation about that. And so we ended up putting a version of that conversation in the movie into the scene where Luke and I meet at the club. And then it just dawned on me, oh, wait, what if my big gesture to Aaron at the end is to sing him a love song and reveal all of my feelings and finally be really vulnerable with him in the genre of a country ballad, right? And I also thought comedically, it would be funny to sort of talk about things that had happened in the movie that are very there are things really associated with gay sex and gay culture but to sing it with a bit of like a country twang just a little bit and that's where the idea came from and then so I literally on a Saturday morning when we weren't shooting I started writing it and but you know I'm not I've written songs in the past for fun but I'm no Mark Shaman obviously and no one is <laughs> no one is and we were lucky enough to already have mark on board writing the score for the movie and i called mark and i basically said 
Um, I started writing this song. Is this good? You know, <laughs> can you guide me here? And so, and of course, I spoke to Nick Stoller, our director, and Josh Church, our producer, about it. And, you know, Mark, Mark came on board and we started working on the song together and he started helping me write it and orchestrate it and produce it and get other musicians on board because I don't even write music. I just write by ear. And there it was. And a few weeks later, we were shooting it um, in our big finale scene with Mark. I mean, so generously um, and kind of magically coming to play for me off camera on set. Oh, wow. Um, which was truly a dream. And That's just a gay man's dream right there. It really yeah. is. I mean, you know, uh, he's he's sitting right here, but uh, I've said it many <laughs> times, but it really was such a dream to, to have him writing the score alone because he's written so many beautiful classic rom-com scores and movie scores and has seven Oscar nominations and Tonys and Grammys and all these things that I don't have um, and that very few people have. And so it was it was such a dream to have him sitting there. And not only that, and this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up, but he actually, because he's Mark Shaman, not only came to play for me on set, but brought one of Garth Brooks' former guitarists to play guitar. Oh my God. <laughs> so, wait, wait, so Mark, how do you explain that connection and how you got that to happen? Well, that was just uh, a fluke, maybe isn't the right word. He was just a guitar. I have one guitar player I normally always call and he was unavailable, but he said, how about this guy? And then when we were sitting there working on it, he happened to mention, oh, you know, yeah, I, I've, I've played for Garth Brooks. It was just a, a, a perfect lucky connection that just happened to happen but uh it wasn't planned uh, you know almost as billy was telling the story almost none of this was planned as you can hear it was all just magically all happened i mean i just ha i was lucky that i was in new york when josh church the producer wrote and said can you come out to the set in new jersey tomorrow and I could, so I drove out there and I guess, I think I brought a keyboard. I can't remember if they rented one, but we set it up in this empty trailer and whenever Billy wasn't filming, he would come over. Yeah, and now that Billy mentions that he had sent what he was working on beforehand. So I came in knowing what he was thinking about. And, but the song is very, very much what Billy wrote. I, 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 I was like Igor to his Dr. Frankenstein. Um, you know, I helped stitch together the body a little, but it's really his creation. Or, or a nicer way to put it is I was Patrick Swayze behind Demi Moore, helping mold in the clay. <laughs> That's my dream right there. Right. You know, but Billy had a very clear idea what it was, you know, so putting the right chords to it that made it have a certain motion or emotion both those things and making, you know, just, and also Billy came in with a song that probably clocked in at around 17 minutes long. So <laughs> little by little, we, we all banged up on him and said like, maybe that. And when we filmed, it was, it was still a good length, a, a, a good length for what a song should be. But as in almost every movie that ever existed, any song that ever gets filmed for a movie, always still gets cut down a bit in the editing room. When I worked on the TV show Smash, I quickly figured out, huh, I put in weird key changes between verses. 
And that way they couldn't cut down the song. <laughs> so, so we, Billy, we should have done that on this one too. Oh, that's oh, genius. It, it all happened too fast. Um, yeah, that's so, so funny. But what ended up in the movie ended up being, you know, kind of perfect. I mean, Billy and the editing, uh, our editor and the director throughout the movie, because I got to watch so many versions of the movie as it was coming in. And they did an incredible job of editing because they had so much. They filmed so much movie. And the way that they, uh, you know, the expression we, we use in the business is to, you know, you have to kill your babies. And, you know, the, the fact that they amazingly took out things that were so funny, but they knew that they had to, like, keep the plot going and a certain pace and 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 they just had a balance you know the comedy and the romance and so the song also got cut down in just the right way to get the point across but not stay too long at the fair but you know luckily uh, on the recording we did get to do a, a longer version of it but it's still not what billy first sent that first night uh we'd all have to take a week off and, and <laughs> was it like a giant production number with like lots of whole dream ballet and everything like it was the only thing that, missing but the there, there was a longer bridge hey you know it's one of those things where you don't you don't have any idea what to write and then all of a sudden it all comes pouring out you know and um and we were so it makes sense that the song got written when we had already started shooting for a few weeks because we were all so in the zone with each other, you know, and me and Luke were getting to know each other. And after years of working on the script, this relationship that Nick Stoller, who wrote the movie with me and directed it, you know, we thought so much about it, but we were experiencing it on its feet for the first time. And Luke is so good in the movie, you know, and... You know, we were really seeing the dynamic between the characters. So it makes sense that I would almost need that to inspire the song, which wraps up the story as much as it does get wrapped up in the movie. Um, but um, and, and as Mark said, it, it was cool because a few months after we wrapped, actually, no, it was just this past summer, actually, a long time after we wrapped, we got to go back into the studio and record it and restore at least one of the verses which does have a really good joke in it and also add more orchestration to it and it's it mark and the producers did a beautiful job it's really it sounds beautiful i don't i'm not talking about me i'm just talking about the you know the underscoring and all of that um and it's on spotify and apple and all those things and um it's uh, i'm happy we were able to do that like billy yeah. was saying i i find when i when i write with my uh my lyrical partner, Scott Whitman, who I write, you know, shows and mm -hmm. stuff with, there's always like a day or two of total terror of like, uh, what are we going to write? We have no talent and don't know what we're going to write. But then once it starts, it does flood out. And, and now, you know, like uh, we have a show, Some Like It Hot, opening on Broadway a week from tonight. Congratulations, the, the, by the way. The, the title <laughs> song we have like 13 verses we ended up writing, but but for two <laughs> days, we just sat in terror. But then once you get that idea, yeah. you just can't stop, you don't wanna stop yourself. And so you do yeah. just keep going. And then part of that process is, you know, figuring out, okay, which verses are the best and which points are getting across and what are we, you know, maybe repeating ourselves conceptually, you know? So that's that's part of songwriting process. 
And was there one line that you remember cutting that you were like, God damn it, I really wish we could have kept that in? There's one line in the verse which we did restore for the uh, streaming version of the song, which we shot for the movie, but got cut just for time. And at the beginning of it, I'm singing, and this makes sense if you watch the movie, but, um, and you know, it's this kind of poignant country ballad and I'm at this point, it's early in the song and I'm still singing with a little bit of a country feel. I let that go as the song becomes more earnest. Um, But I say, uh, when we first made love, there weren't two of us, there were four. Because when Bobby and Aaron first uh, hook up in the movie, he doesn't want to do one-on-one because it's too intimidating <laughs> and vulnerable. So we kind of get into this awkward group sex situation that's <laughs> our first date, um, which is not something you would ordinarily hear in any love theme no. rom-com, let alone a country <laughs> song. And there were a couple of times we screened it and it and that joke got like a really big laugh. And yet it still wasn't worth keeping in just for overall pacing mm. and all of that. But I it's I love a good joke and you know it was a it was hard to cut that but at least we got to restore it. Is there anyone? The big other thing I I'm I'm jumping ahead of whatever your questions are, but then the fact that that Billy sings so well that people don't really know. I know he sang when he guest hosted uh, for Jimmy Kimmel. That was right, Billy. Oh yeah, maybe I did. God, I don't even remember. I got to sing a little bit in the Lion King remake. Right, yes. right, right. But, but, but you, you know, that me. you don't see me. Yeah, either. that more of a musical theater comedic song. But then I remember hearing you sing that song on Jimmy Kimmel, full on straight ballad of, of just, I was like, oh. Oh, it was like, James like, Corden. James Corden. And, and ironically, it was a Mariah Carey Christmas. Right. <laughs> right. There you go. The Mariah Carey remix was on. That was actually going to be my next question was, did you ever consider that maybe Billy would bring in another special guest star to sing in the movie? Or was it always like, well, I, I'm going to have to sing? <laughs> Um, I mean, it was obviously written for my character to sing and pour his heart out. You know, the fact is, my I did start to daydream about, oh, like, what if we got Mariah or Garth or someone, you know, and, and to be part of this big finale. But the truth is, this song came together so quickly. Just, just me singing it with a small band and Mark was almost impossible to pull off in the time we had and with the money we had left, which at this point wasn't very much because we were already in production. Um, And so I knew that wasn't realistic. Yeah. I mean, it did kind of cross my mind. Mariah also let us use one of her old songs in the movie in that club scene. Um, And then she ended up hosting a screening of bros for pride month in New York, which was very cool. Um, So she might've been up for it actually, but there just wasn't time to, to make all that happen. And how did you feel when you got on set that day and you had to sing? It was a little scary because it's, you're singing, um, you know, I sing it at the big gala opening of the LGBTQ museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of extras there and background actors and other actors in the movie. It's like literally every, almost everybody yeah. is there because it's our big finale. And so every time I sang it, I sang it in front of everyone. Um, so at the beginning, it was a little daunting. But the truth is, I was a musical theater student at Northwestern and I mean, I grew up 
loving Mark Shaman, you know, and loving Broadway. I grew up in New York City. I I went to so many musicals with my parents. I sang as a kid. I took singing lessons uh, from a young age. That's really what I thought I was going to do. I honestly just thought I was going to be on Broadway and that would have been lovely. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know, Billy on the Street took off and sent me into a sort of this comedy world. Um, But uh, so once I got through it once, it was actually really, really fun. And I actually remember recording um, the Lion King songs uh, and in the studio with like Hans Zimmer and all those guys. And that was also, it was a reminder of like what I loved to do as a kid and how much I loved it. And I've completely forgotten about it. Um, so it was kind of weirdly pure in that way. <laughs> also, it, although they've done it a few times in the, in the last few years, but Billy sang live every single take. So there was no pre-record you know, which is often the way it's done and you and you and you do it well. So the emotion is there, but still it, it's not mm, it's not normal, for lack of a better word, to do what we did that day, which was Billy having to sing it every single take from every different angle. Mm. So that was courageous of him, you know, because that's a lot to have to keep singing uh, as you're on a day's, you know, filming. It's, yeah. Yeah. But it always pays off. I mean, because there's there's just a certain emotion of of being able to choose how you're going to phrase it in the moment that mm-hmm. is what you you know would like it to always be in a movie. And so it was nice in this case to be able to do it that way. Hey there, I'm Hannah, and I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Yeah, and, and if we have time for one more question, I think, before we before we go, um, I just wanted to ask you guys, this still feels kind of rare, a love song that is specifically written for a man to sing to another man. And even in you know, uh, musical theater, in pop music, all the different genres, this still feels rare, even though at least recently, love songs from a woman to a woman are becoming more prevalent and gaining more mainstream traction. And I'm wondering if you guys could talk about why you think that is and what you think it will take for a song like this to be at the top of the streaming charts and hit the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually... Uh, for me, it just seemed like an organic thing to happen mm-hmm. in the movie for me to sing to him because we already, yeah. before I wrote the song, had scenes where my character talks about how he sang as a kid, but was discouraged from trying to make that his career because this was, you know, he grew up like in the 80s and 90s and you couldn't be gay mm-hmm. and be a pop yeah. singer. I mean, you had to be in the closet and all of that. Um, and so it made sense. And then I thought after the fact, wow, we actually... <laughs> 
don't have many any love songs in a movie just so unapologetically and overtly sung from one man to another like this um i may there probably are some examples i'm forgetting about but not a ton and i also thought wow and then i started thinking like wow we don't have many pop duets even you know i i think you know now you have folks like sam smith who yeah. you know are aren't necessarily you know singing about a woman when they sing a love song you know and so like you said i think it's becoming more prevalent but boy that took us a really long time to get there and it's still very rare and those songs even when they exist they don't hit the charts you know what i mean Uh, or and also they don't specifically mention their lover's gender right right i think we're still kind of uh coming to terms with all of that which is which is interesting considering how much we've evolved culturally in other ways But yeah, even in, you're right, even in Broadway shows, I mean, they're considering how gay some Broadway musicals. I mean, yes, there are way more in Broadway musicals than you hear <laughs> in the world or the movie world, but maybe not as many as you'd think, considering how many gay men are in the audience. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it and it, it actually, when I realized that, I, I, I was, I'm really proud. It wasn't really our intention, you know, it wasn't like a political statement, but I'm proud that we were able to do that. It's kind of a rare thing to see just one guy singing to another guy about how much he loves him. You know, I'm reminded when I was a kid, you probably are both too young, but, but when Cher had her hit called the way of love, love I was probably like 12 or something. When you meet a boy that you like a lot. <laughs> so, okay. So she's Cher, a woman and she's singing when you meet a boy that you like a lot and you fall in love. And then the end of the song goes, then what will you do when he sets you free just the way that you said goodbye to me? So is she singing to her lesbian lover who meets oh. a boy? Or is she singing to her boyfriend? <laughs> who's gay. Who's met a boy? Who's gay. So I always, even as a kid, I was like, wow. Is this a gay song? Like, <laughs> It just came and it came and went and no one seemed to think wow, I never thought about that. <laughs> I never thought about that either, wow. Um, how far we've come it's it's still rare it's still rare strangely yeah well here's hoping this has some sort of even small impact on that we can move the needle a bit thank you guys so much for speaking with us today um billy mark but what the hell one last question this song gets nominated for the oscar billy are you singing at the oscars or are you who are you hiring to do it (laughs) (laughs) i mean i that would be even thinking about that feels very surreal um i mean it's a position mark has been in many times uh (laughs) i have not um so i i don't know i mean i I guess I'd like to sing it if that were to happen, but I'm really not letting myself think about that because it just yes. feels strange. <laughs> In the words of our people, Kenahora. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I will say this though. I will say this about the song. If you look at like the bylaws of like the Academy, a song is supposed to be a song that best represents what is happening emotionally in the movie and the storytelling only only in 
some years ago did it become like songs that were only in the end titles but this song really really fits the bill of what it's yes. supposed to be about i mean it's sung by a character in the movie to a character in the movie and uh on that level i i say it it deserves to be considered for your consideration yes it deserves to maybe be or do you hear us ampus for your consideration <laughs> love is not love from bros written by billy eichner and mark shaman gentlemen thank you so much again <laughs> thank you thanks so much for having thank us you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Dan Bear's interview with the songwriters for the song Love Is Not Love from the film Bros, Billy Eichner and Mark Shaman here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Love Is Not Love is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Original Song. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.